It's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. A part of my identity is being an adoptee, being separated at birth from my original family and placed into foster care for two years before being adopted has significantly impacted how I see my place in the world. After connecting with the adoption community over a decade ago, I recognize the added value adoptees bring to a conversation about adoption. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? My next guest published his memoir, Becoming Patrick, in 2011, and was a finalist in the San Diego Book Awards. His name is Patrick McMahon. We met over a decade ago and would frequently see each other at adoption community conferences. In addition to being an adoptee, Patrick is an artist and a musician. He originates from Chicago and currently resides in sunny San Diego, California, His major contributions to the adoption community go back as far as 1999. Allow me to introduce you to someone, all these years later, continues to be active in adoption education and reform. You will hear a part of his relinquishment, adoption, search, and reunion journey. When I invited him to share his words, he was happy to give much guidance to those of us in adoption land. Patrick, we go way back. I mean, back over 10 years when I first met you at an adoption community conference and managed to kind of stay connected through the years. I, I know that when we met, like 2011, around that time, I think I got a copy of your book. You had published your memoir, Becoming Patrick. I have it in front of me right now, and I was looking at your autograph to me, and it says, To Bonnie, to peaceful paths for everyone on this long, winding road of adoption. All the mm. best, Patrick. And, and it just reminds me of how special it was for me to connect to the community. So I just wanted to thank you for that, and I totally enjoyed your book. So we'll start there. <laughs> how, are, right. how are okay. you doing? I'm doing I'm doing pretty well, thank you. Good. There's so much I really want to cover today and I'm just like, where do we start? And when we talked and got reconnected, um, it was we just kinda of picked up where we left off the end of May when we spoke by phone. And some of the things you said really touched me. And one was the story about the L train in Chicago and remembering mm-hmm. and recalling it as an adult. Do you want to share that with us? Oh, sure. Yes, I'll be happy to share that story. I usually share the story in the context of uh, showing people how infants do remember what happens to them and that infants experience trauma and separation and uh, when this comes up in a meeting or in some other context. So, yeah, basically, I had been reunited with my first family for a couple of years. I was born in Chicago, Illinois Masonic Hospital, which is on the north side, not far from Wrigley Field. 
Through a long circuitous route, I had ended up living back in Chicago, four blocks from that hospital. So I decided that I would like to get my medical records because at that time, there was uh, no access to original birth certificates. So I really had no documentation of my birth. So I went to the hospital records office and I ordered my medical records under my birth name, Patrick Shields, instead of my actual name, Patrick McMahon. The clerk just gave me a look like, what's different here? And I said, oh, I changed my name. <laughs> and she looked at me kind of like, uh, okay. You know, she kind of figured out what I was doing. She let it go. So in two weeks, I got the call and went back and picked up the medical records. I also, during that time, went to the maternity ward where, you know, this is probably 1993. So this is like almost 30 years ago. And at that time, you could just walk right up to the maternity ward. No security. I found somebody that looked about the right age. And I asked, where was the labor room? You know, like in 1957. (laughs) And they (laughs) told And they told me it was right there, right? I was almost looking at it. And and she she said, now it's the alternative birthing center. So we went in and I was standing in the room in which I was born. And I said, well, where was the nursery? She showed me where the nursery was. So we're standing there. And at that time I heard uh, in Chicago, there is the L train, uh, elevated train that goes all over the main part of the city. And a, a train went by. And I kind of realized that I had probably heard that sound over and over and over in my first three days of life in that nursery. So when I went out of the hospital with my medical records, I started to walk towards my car and went under the, the raised bridge of the L train. The L train was overhead. And as I was holding my medical records, you know, being very emotional about that, because here's the first documented proof of my existence, um, a, uh, a train went overhead and somehow it just connected with what must have been the infant in me. And I just started crying and almost collapsing to the ground. Mm-hmm. I was so overcome with feeling. It took me many, many minutes to kind of get myself together and, uh, proceed onto my car. But I, you know, after that, I just became totally convinced that um, I was somehow recalling those connecting to those first three days of life in that hospital and the the pain of separation because I was not with my mother during those first three days. You know, she was down the hall. So that's, that's kind of an example of, I think, um, that don't ever discount what a child or infant can internalize. Yes, that... It's such a profound experience. I am thinking of the song Someday We'll Be Together by Diana Ross and the Supremes. Motown, mm-hmm. I do mm-hmm. believe, was um, very, like, an important part of my birth mother's life. And that song just, when I first heard it, and even every time I hear it, I, I'm reminded that Perhaps she listened to that quite a bit because it it resonates with me. Of course, I love all the Motown for the most part, all the songs mm-hmm. but from the 60s. Yeah. But for some reason, that one stands out. And I just think I think it has something to do with maybe her listening to it and really liking mm-hmm. it. And my brother mm-hmm. shared that as well, that that's 
his favorite. So I, uh, yeah, that that's um, your story. I'm glad you shared that because I believe that that there are things that we may not recall, but we remember. It's in, it's stored somewhere in our being. Yeah, and there, one other quick story. Uh, it turns out that my birth mother, uh, when she was pregnant with me, uh, went to a lot of Chicago Cubs games at Wrigley Field. I grew up in the western suburbs of Chicago in Downers Grove, and my adoptive family, everybody was from the south side, so they were White Sox fans. And if you're from Chicago, you know that there's two <laughs> worlds, the, the, the White Sox fans and the Cubs fans. Right. So I grew, up, I grew up as a Cubs fan, so much so that in eighth grade, I went with a friend, we made our way down, we took the train downtown and made our way to Wrigley Field when I was 13, just to go to a Cubs game. And I've been a lifelong fan of uh, of the Cubs, so it, it turns out it was kind of in my DNA from in utero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, there's a page in your book that really stuck out to me. It's on page four, and it's next to the last paragraph. And you say, "Of course, I've known in order to be chosen, I had to be unchosen." And I remember when I first read that many years ago and I, I bookmarked it and read it again today and you, you continue surely every adopted child figures that out mm-hmm. tell me when is the first time you put that together process that were you an adult or a child wow I would say consciously I would say it was an adult or possibly a teenager I think um but I buried this stuff so deeply uh, as a child, and I think even into my teenage years, that I can't remember ever having like a lot of deep thoughts about uh, being unchosen. I'm sure I had many thoughts about, you know, I know I had many thoughts about like, well, where could I be? Where would I be if I weren't here? And um, I grew up in a household where there was alcoholism. And so there were really good times and there were some really tough times. And during the tough times, I'm sure that I thought, well, gee, I wonder what my original family would have been like, you know, compared to this. Mm -hmm. So I think during the tough times, it was easier to think about stuff like that. But yeah, you know, I, I had buried this stuff very deeply, well through my 20s even. I don't think I really started thinking seriously about this till I turned almost 30. So I can remember as a child feeling disconnected and alone, wondering about things. I don't know if I particularly had that specific thought, but I certainly had the feeling of it. Yeah. In reunion with your birth mom, you said something to me on the lines of a settling inside upon reuniting with your birth mom what do you mean by that well i was referring to the first time we met uh, which was january 15th 1992 we had connected six months earlier on the phone and had been in touch communication and so forth letters phone calls but when we met in person and i saw her for the first time and hugged her for the first time it just felt like something in my gut was just totally relaxing it felt like something you didn't know was tense all your life. And then suddenly it just kind of relaxes, falls in place, mm. uh, settles out. Things make sense. 
I try to describe this feeling because I think it's important, especially for people who are thinking about searching or people not even involved in adoption to try to understand how important or how significant it can be to reunite with your birth family. Yeah, I think so too. And your opinion about the strengths of being an adopted person, there were two things you named that I agreed with, being more empathetic to people and mm -hmm. also an expert on separation trauma. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk yeah, we have bit? a lot to say. <laughs> <laughs> if, if people will listen, we have a lot to say about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think I want to dip into the other parts of yourself. You're an artist, of course, a published author, a writer, and a musician. Where do you want to start? <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> I didn't know we like talked about life in general. Wow. Uh, yeah, because you know well, what? It's so important to me that the listening audience know that we're more than adoptees. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think photography has always been part of my life since I was a child. My parents bought me a Polaroid Swinger camera when I was a kid, and um, I loved that camera. And started taking pictures and pretty much have always done it. In high school, I took photography class and spent a lot of time in the darkroom. In college as well, it's always been a hobby. And then this does sort of uh, relate to adoption a little bit because after my reunion, uh, I was back in Chicago and I went through a rough time for a while. Uh, but when I came out of that, I kind of started my life over in a more authentic way. And what that means is that I pursued things that felt natural to me rather than the things that I thought I should do. And one of those things was photography. And so I actually got a job as a portrait photographer, a little studio, did portrait photography for many years. And then also during that time started to show my uh, fine art photography locally in Chicago got support from a group called Arts Anonymous. At that time, 12-step groups were very popular. And many people don't know that there was a group called Arts Anonymous, which is a group of people who get together once a week and discuss their, their writing blocks, their artistic blocks related to, you know, dysfunctional household upbringing. That kind of support made a lot of difference to me. So I suddenly started showing photography in shows, and I started entering shows, getting getting into th shows nationally, and um, that was really uh, very satisfying. And also, I think during the whole, my whole extended reunion period, it was certainly a way of expressing what I was going through. For many years, it was black and white photography, um, rather stark, uh, included a lot of reflections, mysterious photographs. <laughs> and then over the years, became color photography. And now, now I do a lot of abstract photography still. I, I guess I'm still into the abstract rather than the real. To this day, it's still kind of like my main form of expression, I guess I'd say. Do you have a preference between the black and white and color? Now I prefer color. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I love black and white photography, and I adore it when I see it in other people's work. But for me personally, it's, um, I love bold color. Yeah. So that's 
that's kind of where I'm at these days. Yeah, photography is what I would call one of the tools in my toolbox, along with writing. And I love the arts, period. Mm -hmm. And I remember doing black and white. And I I think I have a preference for black and white now. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Something about it, it, yeah, it just speaks to me. So what has been the most rewarding thing about being connected to the adoption community? Oh, I don't know. Having a functional life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it does. They can do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know where I would be without the adoption community. Seriously. Um, Being, oh man, just uh, the emotional support of the adoption community, the, uh, well, at the beginning, the validation. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, I think we all go through periods of feeling like we're the only ones that feel this way or are we crazy? because of the feelings that we have just the healing aspects of spending so much time with people who get it and you know spending time with other members of the triad spending time with birth parents and adopt even adoptive parents who are involved in that process that so healing to hear from birth parents and understand where they're coming from in their experience and just the sense of community oh my gosh you know it's been what, 25 years I've uh, been involved in various aspects of the adoption community, and I still feel so connected to so many people. Even though I haven't been that active uh, in the last four or five years, I just feel like they're they're right there, still very connected to all these people. So emotionally, I don't think I could have gotten through my experience without the adoption community, absolutely. Yeah, recently you just jumped back in like... All ten toes, right? I mean, I saw you yeah. on nap happy hour, and you've told me about some other things. So, like, maybe you're just making up for all the time you were kind of removed a little bit, huh? Yeah, I've been <laughs> very surprised and pleased that you know this could still happen. <laughs> I often think about the newcomer, so to speak. A lot of people are just coming on board. What guidance would you give someone? It's getting better connected, like spending time on a Zoom meeting for the first time with other adoptees and just kind of immersing themselves like with podcasts or reading blogs or just picking up anything they can and maybe even attending conferences. What what guidance would you give someone just coming on board, well, getting all of that information? I would say several things. If you're a reader, read. There is so much literature out there now, you know, by professionals, by parents and adopted people, memoir. And there's so much out there now that you can even probably be more specific to your own situation, mm-hmm. whether you were found, whether you're, or whether you're searching, whether, you know, that sort of thing. So anyway, if you're not a reader, certainly connect online um, with uh, there's so many Facebook groups. There's all kinds of different groups. Uh, but the one thing I do want to suggest is that if, if at all possible, go somewhere where you can be face-to-face with people, uh, meetings, conferences, uh, I really highly suggest that. I, I always use this example. I'm, I still facilitate a monthly support group here through CUB, Concerned United Birth Parents. Um, and we are, have been on Zoom since the beginning of the pandemic. But before that, we would occasionally get somebody come into the meeting would say 
wow, it's so different being face-to-face. I've just been online. And, you know, and it's so obvious to me, but it's, it's, it's important to point out, I think, that face-to-face contact and meetings, especially on something as deeply emotional as this topic, is, is, is really valuable to people. So that's why after 25, 30 years, I'm still going to meetings, facilitating a meeting. It's the face-to-face contact that's really important. So that would be, you know, if possible, that's what I would suggest. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. And I agree. I think in person is definitely a different feel that I so appreciated too over the years. And I'm just so happy to hear that you're facilitating. After all these years, you're still like, yeah, giving back, paying it, paying it forward. And so that's really great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so as a published author, how does it feel to be on the other side of writing your book, your fantastic book. I highly recommend everybody get a copy of it. It's so well written and I love your style of writing. Oh, thank you. Well, I would say that, you know, like 10 years ago after it came out, uh, it was a lot of relief and also a bit of anxiety about how it would be received and a lot of irrational anxiety about how my mothers would take it, how my mothers would mm-hmm. <laughs> react to it both of my mothers uh, were alive they are both still alive especially my adoptive mother now I know this might sound a little strange but I think that was my biggest anxiety in writing the book at the time Mm. was how is my adopted mother going to take all this and I really thought about that I mean I was in therapy for a little while talked about it you know it's it really goes back to that really kind of deeply irrational fear of being abandoned by the one parent that raised you you know it's it goes back to a child or an infant you know depending on somebody for their existence talk about inner child stuff i mean you know it was rattling all those cages that's for sure right i'm glad you shared that for those that are thinking about writing and publishing Uh uh, yeah that's that's good to know that even though, even though my adopted mother had given me no actual reason for that, right, um, it was still going on. So afterwards, I think you know when both mothers read the book and you know seemed to be very happy with it, that was very relieving. Yeah, so relief uh, and also a really, really uh, well, it's cathartic. You know, I feel like I got my whole thing out there on on paper, pretty right. much I laid it all out there and. And also just feeling kind of like, uh, well, I think I've really made a contribution now that's that's there forever, mm-hmm. you know, for whatever purpose anyone wants to use it. And that felt really satisfying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I think yeah, getting it out of our heads onto the paper and then, of course, a decision to publish is just a whole entirely different thing. But writing, I, mm-hmm. I just encourage people all the time to, to put it put it down yeah I think for me mm-hmm. anyway it was very healing yeah it was yeah during my whole search and reunion I journaled almost every day and mm. for me that was that was almost life-saving I mean you know because you're, you're, you're going through so much for me the process was okay I just went through this incredible experience today I gotta just put it on paper so it can get out of my head and out of my body and I can go on to tomorrow <laughs> you know right. that was my thought. 
<laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, one of the things I'm very fascinated about in our stories um, is synchronicities. And there was one you mentioned about the white Mitsubishis <laughs> that you had and your sister had. You learned that in Reunion? Yes, yes. <laughs> I think maybe it was the first phone call. <laughs> yeah. Are there any others that you would like to share? Oh, my gosh. Wow. Thought about that in a while, but yeah, my sister and I were both driving white Mitsubishi's when I found the family. Um, my sister and I, my sister Lori and I, um, probably have the most in common as you know between me and my the rest of my siblings. She's the one I have most in common with. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, we have the mm -hmm. same tooth that sticks out. We have um, all kinds of similarities. There's all kinds of things. You know, my birth father was deceased when I found the family, but I learned so much about him and how he wrote. He was basically a, a writer, a writer of, of song lyrics. Mm. Um, he even tried to get them published at some point in time. And he wrote stories. I have actual physical copies of stories that he wrote. And then I also later found out that his mother, my grandmother, made her own greeting cards for family members and wrote stanzas of poetry for those cards. Wow. That's and not pretty just cool. One or two, not just one or two. <laughs> right. She, she would have like 20 stanzas of writing. Oh on my these cards. goodness. <laughs> that is, I bet that was nice to learn. It was. Yeah. It was yeah. So, so the um, talent so, as a writer was in you. Yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I love to hear the synchronicities and um, I call it things coinciding mm -hmm. between. And it's such a great example of how now your life makes sense. Right. Now it's like, right. You know, before that, it's like, where does this come from? Why? Anyway, it all yeah. makes sense. And I also have to say it's it makes sense for those things. And it also makes sense for maybe things that aren't so don't feel so positive, like where kind of like impulses come from. Absolutely. From me that are, that yeah. are not exactly particularly healthy ones. Exactly. So. <laughs> yeah. I caught this edginess that I, I felt. I remember recalling as young as, say, 12, 10 or 12, this edginess. And then mm -hmm. that in reunion, I'm like, oh, yeah, I got it from both sides. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I don't say it's a, a bad thing, but I knew it was something that I didn't really sense in my adoptive family, you know. Um, right. Yeah, right. so that was kind of cool to say, oh, that's where that's coming from. Like, it's it's a real thing. It's not like something wrong with me, you know. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, reunion is, it has the capacity to answer a lot of questions and help us better understand why we are the way we are. Oh, absolutely. Right. And I think that's so important to living authentically in the world. I mean, I think that if we know exactly where we came from, if we know the truth of where we came from, positive, negative, however you want to interpret it, it is the truth. You know, I think that we are then able to perhaps make more valuable, authentic contributions to society. And, you know, you don't get me started on a whole bunch of other things, but, you know, it's when anyone would suggest, why do you need to know your 
you know, your history and that sort of thing. I say, I say, well, because I want to be a full, authentic person <laughs> right. contributing into the world. Right. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I know you you mentioned when we talked before that if any shame, I guess, relative to being an adopted person, it, it isn't being adopted. The shame is being relinquished, given away. Yeah. I know a lot of people don't really use that term a lot. I, I'm hearing placed a lot. You know, I was placed. Uh, but relinquished is still quite prevalent. Yeah, that's that's clear oh, to all of us that we were in fact relinquished. And so I liked um, how you frame that, that if there is any shame, it's being relinquished, not being adopted. Two big different things. Absolutely. Yeah. That was one of the things I uncovered during my search process that I really uh, had internalized and feeling not wanted or some, there's something wrong with me. And certainly that didn't come from my parents. I think uh, at least back in those days, 60s, 70s, we internalized that kids are very sensitive. They're smart and they can internalize societal attitudes. Mm-hmm. All it takes, you know, all it takes is a few people to say, oh, you're adopted. I mean, right. even just a tone, of vo- a tone of voice. Exactly. <laughs> that was my big thing, like. I know what I think about it, but what what do others think about it? What what do other like other family members and the public at large? What do they think about me being adopted? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, real quickly, I you know my I was raised with one brother who was also adopted. He has two children, and when they were young, I guess six, seven or something like that, I was visiting visiting. My brother had not really talked to them about him being adopted, and. I was talking and I, maybe it was shortly after my book came out. I can't remember exactly, but I just sort of casually mentioned how, oh yeah, your dad's adopted too. I mean, I've been talking about me and how my mother, my adopted mother didn't actually give birth to me. And, you know, she raised me and, you know, I think, you know, a child's curiosity said, well, why, why? <laughs> and because, because the mother who, you know, the one who gave birth to me couldn't raise me at that time. And um, she said, oh, okay. And I said, no, same, same is true for your dad. And she just looked at me. Her eyes got really wide. And she thought, my daddy's adopted? Wow. And I, I was just so stunned. Right. Because I couldn't tell if it was just she had no connection because I was, or there was some negative connotation in her mind already. Right. Wow. Yeah. Glad you shared that. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm. I uh, I guess we can kind of wrap things up. And is there any, well, first of all, congratulations on the um, being a finalist in the San Diego Book Awards uh, for becoming Patrick. I will definitely include it in the notes so people can know where to get a copy. I'm sure it's on Amazon, right? Oh yes, yeah, wherever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So is there anything I didn't ask you that you wish to share? There was a question that you had posed, uh, something about, is there something in your memoir that you left out? Oh, yeah. Uh, Thanks for reminding me. And I thought that was such a good question. No one's ever asked me that before. <laughs> well, thank you. And 
I guess, you know, I was thinking about that. I was thinking that if I could go back and like put another afterword in there, mm-hmm. that, um, that, you know, it, it's just so important to stick it out and to get the help you need to get through whatever you're going through. Because to use the old phrase, it does get better. You know, I think that uh, we are always going to have some issues dealing with separation trauma, um, call it the primal wound or whatever you want to call it. I think if you work on it and, you know, it becomes less uh, intrusive, it becomes less a, less a big part of your life. So I just, you know, want to encourage people to, to stick with it. And there's a couple quotes I think I'd like to share. Oh, great. Um, one is from the Dalai Lama. Mm-hmm. And he said that the essence of all humanity is the bond between mother and child. Mm-hmm. So for me, it flows so easily from that to say that if you mess with the bond between mother and child, you are messing with the essence of humanity. Mm-hmm. Wow. The other, the other thing that I want to uh, share is something that a therapist shared with me that I went to for many years who really got adoption issues. They are far and few between. And at the end of every session, she made me say this out loud. And she would make me say, you are valuable, you are lovable, you are worth knowing, and you have been from the moment that you've existed. Mm, that's powerful. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Well, this has just been wonderful. You've taken the time out to talk with me. And I just thank you again for making time. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's been a pleasure. I'm so glad to spend some time with you after all this time. So I'm glad you're doing this. It's really important. When I reached out to Patrick during the end of May to be on my podcast, we pick right up where we left off since the last time we spoke some years ago. I can appreciate members of the adoption community still being so welcoming despite the passage of time and a separation by distance. Patrick's longevity in adoptee spaces has afforded him the opportunity to generously help all members of the Constellation. I believe that no one has to be left behind when it comes to the big subject of relinquishment and adoption. In his book, Becoming Patrick, one of my favorite sentences from chapter 14, page 157, states, It's already clear to me that all of the information I want is not going to come by simply asking questions. It's going to come in conversation, in storytelling, over a long period. He goes on to say, I want to know everything, but not ready to feel everything. Patrick put words to how I felt during my search, being in reunion, and to this day. His writing style and shared experiences of navigating his adoption journey was most enjoyable. I know the noise of the L train in my hometown of Chicago all too well. And his story of its sound reminds me that as adoptees, we may not always be able to recall an experience as babies, but the body keeps score. It remembers. Thank you, Patrick, for having this conversation with me. 
You have a way of stringing your experiences with words together in a way that makes me reflect on my personal story in a new way. The pleasure of meeting you many years ago still feels just as near and dear as recently getting back in touch with one another. Perhaps that's an added layer of joy in hosting this podcast. I treasure the reconnection with an adoptee. Lastly, let us all say out loud what a therapist once had Patrick recite after their session. You are valuable, you are lovable, you are worth knowing, and you have been from the moment you existed. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, I hope you will consider making a donation to keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash land. Your contribution allows me to present a weekly episode free of advertisement and is greatly appreciated to add a valuable resource to the adoption community.